Now, we've been saying that today is Gratitude Sunday. It's a new annual church service in collaboration with other churches across uh, London as we give thanks and gratitude to God for all the good things that he gives us. And I was chatting to Pastor Gurma Bashaw. He heads up the Gratitude Initiative. He's a good friend of ours uh, just last week. And he was telling me that 70%, um, according to neurologists and neuroscientists, 70% of people's daily, daily thoughts are mostly negative. I'm not, I'm not sure if, if that sort of tracks with you. 70% of people's daily thoughts tend to be negative, either about themselves, you know, I'm ugly, I'm, I'm stupid, I can't do this, I'll never be able to, I'm not good enough, or negative about other people. They're ugly, they're stupid, they're, they're not good enough. They'll never be able to, to do it. And I'm not sure if you've ever been in a scenario where someone's maybe been out at a party or something like that and someone's commented on what you're wearing or a dress, you get nine positive comments or perhaps a piece of work in the office, nine positive comments, and then you just have one negative comment. And that seems to be the comment that you remember and dwell upon. You've got nine reasons to be thankful for a grateful heart, and yet there's one reason to focus on the negative. And, and they say that this negative bias, this inner critique, you know, can be a nightmare, a disaster for relationships where you're you know, constantly nitpicking at your teenage son uh, for not tidying up their bedroom, even though in many other aspects of life, you know, they're maturing and, and growing. Or you tend to be quick to criticize a colleague or a friend, but never, a friend, but never really offer much encouragement. Or failing to pick up on and appreciate your spouse's many positives and instead just focus in on the negatives. Negative bias, inner critique, um, can be disastrous for relationships. And that is why this passage of the Song of Songs is hopefully going to come to us as a really good tonic. As we hear the man, the husband, praise and delight in his wife and her beauty over and over again. If you've got a Bible there or a phone um, on, um, just look down at chapter 6, verse 4. You are as beautiful as Terza, my darling. Chapter 7, verse 1. Again, how beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Then chapter 7, verse 6. Again, how beautiful you are and how pleasing, my love, with your delights. Can you see? He can't stop praising her, delighting in her telling her how wonderful, beautiful, pleasing she is to him. And so, if you want a marriage to last, here is what husbands need to do. Two things from the passage. Grow in your appreciation of your wife's beauty. Grow in your delight of your wife's beauty. But let me be clear, this is not just a sermon for husbands. This is a sermon for everyone. Because we're going to see that all of this passage points us forward to Jesus Christ and his perfect appreciation of and delight in the church. Okay, so that's where we're going. First of all, grow in appreciation of your wife's beauty. Verse 4. You are as beautiful as Tirza, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem, as majestic as troops with banners. 
Turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming up from the washing. Each has its twins. Not one of them is missing. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Now, you may recall some of these descriptions from back in chapter 4. And some of you may be thinking to yourself, well, look, we've heard this before, right? Hair like goats and teeth like washed sheep and temples like pomegranates. And well, it's getting a little bit stale now and it's getting a little bit repetitive. And can't the husband come up with something new for his wife? Now, if you're thinking like that, we've missed the point. Do you remember what just happened? Those who were here last week, they just had that tiff, that argument, that tit for tat. She didn't want to get out of bed for him. I, 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 I. The loss of intimacy, do you remember? And here they are back now together. And these are his first words to her. And what are they? Does he criticize her for her selfishness? Does he say, look, I hate it when you're like that? Does he harbor a grudge? Try and pay her back? Let the bitterness sink in? Does he pick out the one negative? No, he doesn't. He says, I still love you, my darling. You are still oh so beautiful. He uses the same phrases so she knows their relationship is still secure and safe and he's still full of appreciation and gratitude for her. Actually, these words are not all repetitive. Did you notice what he calls her eyes this time? Not doves, like back in chapter 4. Now it's turned away from me. They overwhelm me. Your beauty is too awesome, too much for me to behold. He compares her beauty in verse 4 to these two cities, Terza and Jerusalem. This is new as well. He's not mentioned them before. Um, the two capital cities, Terza, the northern kingdom for a while, Jerusalem, the southern kingdom. The most beautiful cities around back then. Psalm 48 describes Jerusalem as beautiful in loftiness, the joy of all the earth. Psalm 50 describes it as perfect in beauty. And these are the words, the ideas, the descriptions he's saying about her. You are that wonderful, that beautiful to me. The joy of all the earth, the capital city of my affection. Here is a growing appreciation of her beauty. New insights, new discoveries. Verses 8 to 9 are new too. 60 queens there may be, and 80 concubines, and virgins beyond number. But my dove, my perfect one, is unique. The only daughter of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The young woman saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines praised her. You have an excelling, royal quality to you. Put 60 queens before me. 80 of the most beautiful women in the world, and I only have eyes for you. You are that special to me. Yes, we've had an argument, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm not wishing I was with someone else. I don't care about anyone else. I only care about you. That word perfect in verse 9 um, has the sense of being blameless, guiltless, guiltless, and that word favorite there has a sense of moral purity. In other words, it's not just her outer beauty he is growing in appreciation of, but her inner beauty too. 
her humility of character as she looks to reconcile to him, her love for the Lord which is driving her back to him, and inner beauty which actually enhances an outer beauty. And he just lost in praise of her body and soul, inner and outer beauty, all that who she is. So husbands here, do you praise your wife like this? Do you have your special words, your repeated phrases that you say to her? My cupcake, my darling, my beautiful one, whatever it is for you. So she knows how special she is to you. Do you tell her regularly how much she means to you? That you have eyes for no one else, only her. And can I ask, when was the last time you praised her for her inner beauty? You know, the way you were just so gentle with the kids then when they were completely out of control. It's just beautiful. The way you're so quick to say sorry, you're so quick to forgive me now. I love that about you. The growth I've seen in stressful situations at work or with that difficult colleague, I can clearly see the Lord at work in you, the fruit of his spirit in your life. It is a beautiful thing to see. And I love being married to you. Single men, are you looking for a wife who you can praise, not just for her external beauty, but her inner beauty too? That is someone who loves the Lord more than anyone or anything else. That will be an enduring beauty that you can delight in always as you share with her your deep love for the Lord too. Married women or single women who God is calling to marriage, who would not want to be spoken of by their husband like this? Appreciated and praised regularly like this. And so by all means, Pay attention to how you look, but oh so more than that, pay attention to who you are. Your inner beauty, your inner character, and the unfading beauty of a gentle soul full of the Holy Spirit in love with Jesus Christ, living for your Father in heaven. Now that is beautiful. Notice, everyone, what the man has left out of this description compared to chapter 4. Did you notice which body parts he skips over this time? Her lips, her neck, her breasts. The most sensual parts of her body. Why? Because he wants her to be absolutely clear that he is not trying to make up with her, only to get her into bed again. I love you because I love you, because you're beautiful inside and out, because I'm yours and you're mine, the only one for me, and I say this not wanting anything back in return. 
And we can see the effect of all this on her in verses 10 to 13. I mean, it's just transformative. The friends describe her like the dawn, fair as the moon, bright as the sun, majestic as the stars in procession. I mean, she feels like a queen because she's been treated like a queen. Regal, majestic, on top of the world, we would say. Radiant like the sun and all its warmth and brightness just coming out of her. So secure does she feel in her husband's love. Verse 11, I went down to the grove of nut trees to look at the new growth in the valley to see if the vines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I realized it, my desire set me among the royal chariots of my people. And it's springtime again. And you remember what springtime means in the Song of Songs. And before she realized it, she swept off her feet yet again by her Prince Charming. And through it all, the ups and downs, the tits and tats, the eye, their marriage is all the more stronger for it. Husbands, love your wife like this. Don't focus on the one negative. Praise her for the nine positives. Treat her like a queen. Keep sweeping her off her feet. Don't love her simply for what you get in return. Instead, grow in a deeper and deeper appreciation of her her inner and outer beauty. Secondly, grow in your delight of your wife's beauty. So isn't that just the same point? Well, it's slightly different, but here we go again. Chapter 7, verses 1 to 9. We get yet another description of the woman by this husband. This is the fourth of the so-called wafts, W-A-S-F-S, it's these poetic songs and descriptions of one's spouse. There are four in total in the book, one by the woman of the man, three by the man of the woman, which, guys, tells you you cannot praise the beauty of your wife enough. She asks in verse 13, why would you gaze on me? And her husband is quick to respond, I'll tell you why. And this time goes from feet to head. You notice it's the other way around. As he describes his wife, beauty praises her yet again. It's full body, it's full sensual, the marriage bed is on fire again. Notice the focus on her body. Feet, verse 1, and graceful legs like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. Do you describe your wife's legs like this? Your navel, verse 2, that never lacks blended wine. What do you do with wine? You drink it, you taste it, you savor it. This is what he wants to do with her. Your waist, verse 2, your breast, verse 3, your neck, verse 4, your eyes, your nose, your head, verse 5, your hair like royal tapestry. Now, do you know what the modern equivalent of this would be? I suggest Ed Sheeran's Shape of You, sung to his wife, Sherry. I'm in love with your body, oh why, oh why, oh why. I'm in love with your body, every day discovering something brand new. I'm in love with your body, so be you. <laughs> You'll be pleased to know that's the last bit of singing coming out of me today. But here is this husband delighting in his wife's body and the shape of her. And every day discovering something brand new. And verses 6 to 9. Enjoying her bodily pleasures. 
How beautiful you are and how pleasing my love with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree, I'll take hold of its fruit. May your breast be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. Now, their pleasure is mutual. We'll see next week her delight in him. But do you hear that now how satisfied he is with her? How pleasing to him are all her delights. I mean, I imagine climbing a palm tree is like pretty hard work, but there are no lengths he won't go to for her. And climb the tree and take hold of its fruit and to be satisfied in her love. You know how sweet grapes are to the palate. And that is how he describes her and her breast, so intoxicated is he by her love. It is a poetic description, if you like, of the wisdom of Proverbs chapter 5, two husbands. Listen to this. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? Husbands, it is our responsibility no one else's, our responsibility to keep rejoicing in our wife. Our responsibility to keep intoxicated, it's such a strong word, intoxicated with her love. That is the one who the Lord has united together till death us do part, the only one to truly love and cherish all the days of our lives. Now, in my experience as a pastor, the, the marriage beds that most quickly grow cold, the spouses who start to let their eyes wander or their minds fantasize, the ones who get emotionally entangled with someone other than their spouse or get addicted to pornography or commit adultery are often, not always, often the ones who just take their wives, spouses for granted and start focusing on the negatives, start nitpicking, and forget all the positives and how special they are to them, who think the grass is greener on the other side and then get an almighty shock when they realize what a terrible mistake they have made. The greatest earthly pleasure is to be found with your spouse. On her palm tree, with the clusters of grapes on her vine, taste her, enjoy her, be satisfied in her, don't be tempted to look elsewhere. Now, I need to say, unfortunately, the church has not done a very good job with this at all, and not helped with this by failing to exalt the bodily pleasures of marital intimacy, and sometimes has said sex is just for procreation and not for pleasure at all. I came across Matthew Henry's um, commentary on the Song of Songs this week. He's, an, he's a fine and famous Bible commentator, but listen to how he introduces the Song of Songs. When we apply ourselves to the study of this book, we must not only with Moses and Joshua put off our shoe from our foot because we are on holy ground, but we must forget that we have bodies. And we wonder why the church has a bad rep with sex. Forget that we have bodies. What nonsense! 
God has made us body and soul. God saw that all that he had made, and it was very good. The Son of God came in bodily form. There's a resurrection body to come. And the Song of Songs celebrates, encourages us to delight in bodily pleasures, including sex, within marriage, of course. But to delight in it, nevertheless. So climb the palm tree, take hold of its fruit, breathe in her fragrance, taste her wine, give thanks to God for it. Husbands, grow, grow, grow every day, more and more, the delight and bodily pleasure of your wife's beauty. Now, at this point, some of you might be thinking, oh my goodness, well, you know, that's all good and true, but like, what if I'm not married? What if I'm no longer married? What if I'm a wife here and not a husband? How do these verses speak to me? Let me tell you how they speak to you. Isaiah 62, verse 5. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Let me say that again. Listen carefully. Drink it in. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Everything we've been saying in this passage, everything that we've heard the husband saying about his wife, maybe you think it is too good to be true. This is how God speaks and thinks and feels about you if you are trusting in Jesus Christ. He loves you that much. He thinks you are that beautiful. He delights in you. How does that make you feel? Doesn't matter how much you stumble, fall into sin, God still loves you. You are still beautiful to me. Doesn't matter how many times you need to ask him, why would you gaze, God, on someone like me with all the negative thoughts inside my head? And he will keep on saying, I love you, I love you, I cherish you, I delight in you. You say, how is that possible? How can I be sure of that? It sure doesn't feel like that most of the time. You can be sure of it because of the lengths God has already gone for you. In sending Jesus Christ to earth, who didn't climb up a palm tree, but allowed himself to be hung and crucified on a different kind of tree for you. to deal with and pay for all the ugliness in our hearts, all our negativity, our criticisms, our lack of gratitude. Jesus Christ died in our place. The beauty of his perfect life, untouched by sin, but laid down for your and my sin to cleanse us from it all and to make us beautiful in God's eyes. We did nothing to deserve this, and yet Jesus Christ freely chose to do it. Such is his love for us. Human love will let you down. Even if you're married, a lot of the time your spouse won't treat you like this. Jesus Christ will never let you down. Only his perfect love truly satisfies Read John 4, read John 6. Only his perfect beauty will bring pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16. So can I ask, do you know this Jesus? Come to him now. 
And if you have done so already, do you hear his words of love? You are beautiful to me. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Do you hear the rejoicing now? He's rejoicing over you right this moment. As you trust in Jesus Christ. My precious one. My beloved child. Do you feel special? Because you are special. A child of God. You belong to his family. Can you feel something of the warmth of his love? The smile on his face right now as he gazes down upon you. He's smiling. I know we've got all those negative thoughts swirling around our heads about ourselves. Here is the one thought that can drive them all away. And that is God's loving gaze upon you. The one thought that truly matters. You are beloved. You are forgiven. You are beautiful. You are special. You know, the Christian life day by day is just believing this to be true and keep reminding ourselves that God is that for us, that he loves us that much, that he is gazing upon us and saying, you are beautiful to me. And the more we grasp that, the more we appreciate it, the more we rest in it, his gaze of us, the less we'll care about other people's gaze on us and what people think of us and the negative thoughts people have and the criticisms. We might need to hear some good, helpful feedback, but we won't get crushed by it. We won't wallow in it. We know what the God of the universe thinks about us. And with that safe and secure in his love, we won't be so insecure with others. And it will radically change the way we view others, those who maybe we have negative thoughts about. Oh, because God gazes not just on me individually, but every member of the church and them too. And he loves them and her as much as well, despite their sin, and forgives them, so I should forgive them too. This woman was transformed. She felt like a queen as her husband treated her like one. And so it is with us and God. The difference is we are actually royalty. We are the bride of the king of the universe. And the more we grasp that and get that and live in light of that, it will transform all your thoughts about yourself and about others. And you love yourself and love others in the same way God loves you. Well, let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much indeed for all that you're showing us from the Song of Songs. It is such good news as we see this ideal love and between this husband and this wife and the way he praises her and says how beautiful um, she is and delights in her. And this is a picture of how you see us in Jesus Christ. It really is true that you gaze upon us, the church, now. You're my beloved. You're special. You are beautiful in my eyes. And we pray, Father, that your spirit would help us to really see that, feel that, and believe that, and transform the way we see ourselves and see others, and so aren't so harsh on ourselves, and, and love others in the same way you love us. We thank you for this, and pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.